Hello, everyone. Once again, this is Turntables and Tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week, we will be driving to the cars in their 1978 debut album. I picked this one. Very excited to be doing it. This is an awesome album, in my opinion. Definitely one of my favorites of the 70s. Lots of great classic songs on here. Many of them known by just about everyone because they are staples. And I'm glad that we're here discussing this really iconic album. Iconic is the word. I mean, it reads like a best of the cars. I believe there was like six of these tracks on their anthology just off this album alone. And you could start a classic rock radio station with this album alone. (laughs) Yes, this is the basis of classic rock radio. This is one of the albums that's the basis of those stations. They would be lost without this one. And I don't blame them because there's still nothing quite like it. The Cars are a new wave band, but they have enough of that pop element that was able to break them through to the mainstream. Yeah, and then a little bit of psychedelic hidden in in the background as well. You know, you get into some, and we'll touch on it again as we go through, but some of stuff that's reminiscent or akin to what we heard on uh, on Book of Dreams or a lot of the other psychedelic stuff that was going down in the 70s. Most definitely. They did it all and were able to reign supreme during the disco era of all things too. That's what's really impressive. Disco was dominant in 78, 79 and yet this album was a huge, huge hit. But before all of that, a bit of background information because this was their debut album. So Rick Ocasek and Benjamin Orr had first met in the mid-60s, and they had been playing in bands together from 1968 to 1976. They were in several different bands. One was with Elliot Easton, future guitarist of the Cars, and one band was with Greg Hawks, future keyboardist of the Cars. Eventually, around 1976, Ocasek decided to form the Cars with Orr, Easton, and Hawks, and got drummer David Robinson to join to form this brand new Boston-based band, even though not everybody was from there. Ocasek was actually born in our hometown of Baltimore. Love that. But then went to Cleveland. That was where he met Benjamin Orr. But they all came together in Boston. And of course, they couldn't call themselves Boston. There was already a band called that. (laughs) (laughs) And so they became The Cars, not the best band name in my opinion, but yet an awesome band. And they really quickly gained traction with their demo tape in the Boston area in 1977. The demos for two songs that ended up on this album were played quite frequently in the Boston area, and it got the band a lot of traction. And then they were offered a record deal. They were to choose between Arista Records and Elektra. They chose Electra because they would be the new wave band. Electra didn't have new wave. Their biggest band was the Eagles. And in came the Cars, roaring in to do something completely different. Yeah, I, I was super surprised at how quickly they came about from that late 76, early 77 demo to dropping an album like this, you know, in this almost the same year. Nothing better than being with a bunch of your guys that you've played here and there with and 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 getting together to form uh, I'll use the word supergroup just because it, a supergroup of your friends or of of your your co-musicians but it was it was neat to see how quick they came up on this one yeah 
They were a super group of unknowns, not quite Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, but here they were. And the debut album took off nationally too. It gave us three singles, two of which made the top 40. And the album, interestingly, only charted at number 18 on the weekly Billboard 200. However, it was platinum by the end of 1978 and on the year-end charts for 1979. All the way up at number four was this album, even though it didn't chart any higher than number 18, number four for the year. I can see how this album would grow and, uh, and become better through time or has become better through time uh more popular but also more accepted i could see sitting down and listening to this album in 77 and being like hey you know it's there it's there there's some really cool stuff on it but now we know that 90 percent of this album are iconic songs that we'll never uh, forget most definitely never ever and thank goodness for that i am grateful that we haven't forgotten them and that we get to know them we weren't alive in 1978 and 1979 but yet we still are very familiar with these awesome songs and this album was critically acclaimed too it's appeared on every iteration of rolling stone's 500 greatest albums list well deserved to put it mildly rightfully so rightfully so yes and uh, with that being said are you ready to dive into this one i am i'll give you one little hot tea take i always thought that was carly simon on the cover of this album <laughs> i swear to god i grew up thinking that was carly simon on the front of this album and it is not as the cover model uh, was natalia medvedeva if i do that correctly and it wasn't even their first choice for this album <laughs> It's the one thing when I first brought this album up, I vividly remember pulling it out of, of my dad's album collection and be like, wow, man, that's Carly Simon. She looks super happy. <laughs> no, I don't think she was super happy in 1978. She was still married to James Taylor. I don't think it was going too well for him at that point. This is true. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> but no, not Carly Simon. I have to say this is a really unique cover though i th i'm sure it helped sell the album from what i read it almost feels like a lecture was sort of scared about this album and they chose that cover over i think it was the drummer doing the album covers or did the rest of the album covers um yes. but you know I, I feel like they were like all right let's put our own happy happy go lucky face on this to at least spur some sales yeah I have to say, all the band's album covers are pretty eye-striking, because I remember looking through my father's records as a kid, and he didn't have a player, but he still kept the albums for a long time. This was one of the ones I remember seeing, and, it, and that cover just stuck out to me as a kid. And he had a few other Cars albums as well, and all the covers stuck out to me. They were all very hard to forget. Yeah, Robinson himself designed some pretty great covers, especially for a Candio and Heartbeat City. Those are really neat covers, too. Yes, but... Now we're going to go inside of the album, underneath the cover, into this wonderful new wave world. Can't wait to do it. Let's do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
So the album begins with Good Times Roll. This was actually the third single from the album. This is a really well-known one. Everybody knows this song. I remember hearing this as a kid on my vacation where I heard a lot of Steve Miller in 2006. This was one of the songs I remember hearing on the CDs my dad made. I'm sure there were others by the cars on those CDs, but this is the one I remember hearing. I like this song. I do think it's to me, the most overplayed, mostly because of its use in commercials. I mean, just this year, I heard it in a State Farm commercial. A few years ago, it was in a Capital One commercial because they want to show you you can have a good time with those products. And, and something that I learned throughout this, you know, you, you grow up hearing good times roll and having that happy vibe. But the the irony inside of that is that if you look at these lyrics and you listen to what Ocasek said about the lyrics, it was a farce on the good times of the rock and roll stars, the rock and roll uh, musicians. Yeah, this album is very sarcastic in its tone throughout. It definitely is. And this is one of the songs that you don't really notice it on, but it's definitely there. But it gets you pumping, and it's a great way to start an album. Super, super tight, super strong first track. Most definitely. And the public liked it as well. It actually only charted at number 41 on the Hot 100, but that didn't even really matter because it's 44 years later, this song is still known by everybody. So the charting position did not matter in this case. This was still a song everybody knew and loved. Definitely a good one. They are self-proclaimed a tech-savvy band where they even were saying, you know, they used to have a ridiculous amount of pedals, uh, even for the shortest sets. And this one, uh, Ocasek was doing a lot of overdubbing or, or multi-tracks, and they were using a 40-track on this one. And at first, he was like, nah, I'm not with it. But it started to grow, and rightfully so. It, it sounds awesome. I can only imagine recording on a 40-track. I would get way too carried away with that. <laughs> yeah, I will say right now, before moving on to the next track, for all this band's technical savvy, didn't translate super well to the live stage from what I've heard. From what I read as well, I, it was something that I wanted to ask you if you knew. A lot of this stuff is recorded at different speeds. It's it's laid over top of itself multiple times. And I wondered how that uh, pertained to the, the live renditions of these songs. So, you are in luck. I do know a bit about this. My mom saw the cars with her high school boyfriend probably on this tour. The second album might have been out by that time. She wasn't 100% sure. She saw the band at Merriweather. And my mother is short. She's only five foot two, And she got there on the lawn, couldn't see anything. And her boyfriend put her up on his shoulders to get her to see. But she actually said, you can put me down. They aren't doing anything. Oh, because wow. the band did not move much at all. She said they were robots that were moving their hands, basically. Hmm. They were so stiff, so not the most exciting live performers. I think they improved on this a bit over time, especially once the MTV era hit. They kind of had to be a bit more animated for that. Heard. But... In this era, not the most dynamic live act. My mother still said they played very well. She was enjoying the songs and dancing to them, but she said they did not move. 
I guess they had to focus on everything going on in the songs because there's so much going on. There is indeed. And one of those songs that has a bit going on, it's probably one of the simpler songs on the album, but still a notable one. Track number two, My Best Friend's Girl. Not inspired by personal experience, actually. Okasic just thought this is something that's probably happened to a lot of people, which... He's probably not wrong about. Now, this is one that that you got to figure a lot of people can relate to. Being one of the simpler songs and one of the more straightforward ones, this is another one where it was recorded in the key of E and sped up to an F. And a lot of time when they're performing it, from what I was reading, it's, it's performed in an E. So I wonder how often that happens throughout. Yeah. Well, whatever they did musically with it, it worked really well. This was one of the two demos played regularly on Boston Radio in 1977, and it was the second single from the album. I'm sure it would have been the first if it weren't for another song that was a hit demo, which we'll get to right after this. But this was a hit, too. It made it up to 35 on the Hot 100, but this is a song that just has never gone away. And with a track like this, it's really easy to see how this band broke through the way it did. Most definitely. Uh, I, I find it funny as well that uh, Okasik says he was like 90% of the way done and then realized that the lyrics, my best friend's girl wasn't even in there. So he penned the refrain on the side real quick and popped it in. And here we go. One of the iconic refrains. It worked super well. And another point about this band having sarcastic lyrics This song is really poppy, but it's about abandonment, actually. And so, fun tidbit about this song. At their final ever concert on March 1st, 1994 in Munich, Germany, Nirvana opened their show with a cover of My Best Friend's Girl. That's mind-blowing. You sent me the uh, the video on that, and and it was awesome sounding, but just something I never figured on uh, on Kurt and the boys covering. No, not at all. But in an odd way, it kind of worked. But that says something about this song's composition that, hey, these lyrics are desperate enough. This can be a grunge song, too. That's a great point. Great point. And this is second. We're two songs in and they've tricked us or they tricked me both times. Uh, Let the good times roll isn't really about good times. <laughs> and my best friend's girl, you know, it's, it's another sarcastic play. Yes. <laughs> Somehow they did it, and this song and the next one managed to inspire a hit song that we're going to discuss a bit after we talk about the next song, but I think we need to talk about the next song first. Track number three, Just What I Needed, the band's debut single, a demo played on Boston radio, immediate hit, not hard to see why. The riff is based on a song called Yummy, Yummy, Yummy by the Ohio Express. (laughs) <laughs> Which is mind-blowing, but darned if it isn't that riff. Uh, a weird, weird old-school song, but it's definitely that riff. Yeah, one thing I will say, Elliot Easton is definitely one of Rock's most underrated guitarists. He's not the flashiest player, but his solos are iconic to this day. They're concise, and they get to the point, and they stay in your head forever. And this is an example of a song that stays with you forever. This was the band's first single, as I said, and it made it to 27 on the Hot 100, which is insane to think, considering how well-known this song has remained over the years. The number one song the week that this 
song peaked was Boogie Oogie Oogie by A Taste of Honey, a disco track. This song is obviously far more well-known than that one today. True. Both good songs. Boogie Oogie Oogie won the, uh, was the number one this week? The week that Just What I Needed peaked at 27, yes. Wow. Yeah, they, they were fighting disco at that point. They were. But if you, in my opinion, if you want to solidify yourself as a new wave, hard moving rock band, like they said they wanted to do, this is the one. Of course, this is why they picked this uh, song for the demo, and it, it automatically resonates with the audience. Yeah. This is another sarcastic love tune, but you can't feel bad hearing it ever. I am always happy when I hear this song. I've never gotten sick of it. This is one of the most perfect songs to exist, in my opinion. And it was ranked at number 369 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs list, and I think that's too low. Yeah, that that is a little low for, for a song like this, the song that everybody knows. And it's tight. It's a tight, beautiful right there in your face song most and, definitely and it inspired stacy's mom that i love that about this song not only was the opening riff coming out of yummy 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 but then i found out that the wasting all my time time is a reference to sister ray by velvet underground which okasic loved and then boom stacy's mom is now inspired by it a full circle of musical inspiration in this song. Yes. Stacy's mom also has elements of my best friend's girl this big time. Most definitely. There's another podcast I listen to, not sponsored, called Song Versus Song, and they did an episode about Stacy's mom, and they said Stacy's mom is basically a Cars tribute track, and everybody loves the Cars, so everybody loves this song, and Stacy's mom is one of the best hits of the 2000s, for sure. That song, when it came out when I was a kid, I didn't quite get what it was about. I was kind of like, uh, what is this? I'll, but then I got a bit of like, oh no, this song kicks absolute ass. Yeah, it, it wasn't a song that I def- was in my normal listening loop, but I always thought Stacy's mom was a straight cover song, and that just shows how much homage it paid to, uh, what a great way to put it, a, a Cars best of track. Yes, that's what they did. And it showed that this band still had relevance 25 years after they had released this album. So yes, Just What I Needed, a song I will never, ever get sick of. Iconic, legendary. If you haven't listened to it, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but please do so right now. <laughs> you're learning. You're learning. Jump on. You heard us talking about it. Go and listen to it. It is definitely one that if you haven't listened to, welcome to it. And of note, this is also the first song on the album sung by bassist Benjamin Orr, not Rick Ocasek doing this one. He has a technically better voice, but he still has a bit of the quirky mannerisms that it's all uniform enough doesn't cause an issue at all. Now, it almost reminds me of a little bit of Talking Heads performance-wise. And in my opinion, that 80s, the, what I equate to an 80s sound from, from vocalists in the 80s when Orr is doing his, his singing on this. Yes. This predated the 80s by a couple of years, but it laid the groundwork for the decade, arguably, albums like this one. It it definitely did. Yeah. The Cars are interesting in that they were a band that came at the end of the album-oriented rock era, but they went on through to the MTV era and were major players in both of them. But we are not at the MTV era yet. We are still in 1978, and... uh, 
We're going to go to track number four on the album, the least commercial song here and the most psychedelic, I'm in touch with your world. What do you think of this one? I want you to start. Ooh, this is, this is a, a crazy one for you to ask me to start on. This is my least favorite song on the whole entire album. This song reminds me of the first time you get a Casio keyboard and you find that drum channel with a bunch of hodgepodge so- like hodgepodge sounds and you just hit random sounds. In a Billboard 1978 review, they noted that this track, they noted it as one of the best cuts on the album, which is mind-blowing to me. Like, how could you listen to this album and be like, wow, man, that's one of the best cuts on this album? It just, it never goes anywhere. And it is just an out there it sounds like it would be fun to play live or something like that. You know, one of those deep tracks when you go to see the cars and they're like, oh, man, they're going to play I'm in touch. But for me, it fell way short, um, especially surrounded by bangers. Let's just talk about this first side alone. You're coming out of Good Times Roll. You're going right into My Best Friend's Girl. Then Just What I Needed, which and we'll, we'll talk about this later, but I think that's the best track on this album. And then you go into I'm in touch. Get out of here. Huh? For me, I don't know. You could have left this one off there. Yeah, I really hated this song the first time I heard it. When I bought this album, I knew most of the songs. I decided I'm just going to buy it. It's on vinyl. Has some great stuff on it. And I hated this. I didn't hate it as much the next time I listened to it, but it is my least favorite here. And the lyrics really don't make any sense. I feel like it's an attempt at sci-fi crap, but I don't care for it. This one, if anything could have been left off, it's this one. And this is really the song on the album you never hear on the radio. No, I had never heard this song before. And there's a reason for that. Hate to say it, but I'm in touch with your world. Not a world I want to be in touch with, I'm afraid. A very hot tea take, uh, because I know how much you love this album, and I enjoy this album. But this is the first time, in my opinion, on this album, you really start to get a feeling of what I find this album suffers from, and that's a little bit of overproducing and a little bit of trying to stuff a lot of thoughts uh, into this album. So this is the first time I felt like I heard that, and. Uh, Definitely not my favorite. I'll say that again. I agree with you on that point. Fortunately, the next song is a step up from that. Not hard to get better than that, but the track number five is Don't Just Stop. I like the vibe of this song. I feel like it's very 50s rock and roll influence. I kind of picture Elvis in my head singing this 20 years earlier. That's a cool take. I I really enjoy this song, too. And knowing or finding out that it's the B-side to My Best Friend's Girl, um, as far as the singles go, made sense there. It really makes sense as the last track on the first side of this album. If not by design, then purely by the luck of the universe you know don't you stop for the last song of of side a you're gonna flip it over and it 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 has enough power to make you want to flip it over i enjoyed this song so did i and the first time i heard it i didn't pick up on how sexual this song is this is definitely the raciest track on the album really see i didn't pick up on that this is this is one of those racy songs no i had the when i looked at the lyrics i was like Oh, this is actually kind of raunchy. Let me pull it up here. Yeah, right here, I'd like to melt inside of you. The last line of the first verse is, right here, your mouth is wet and dreamy. 
All right. The dirty track to end side one. Heard that. See? Yeah. They they oh. really do. They really have a way of not so much hiding it, but you know, just having these awesome lyrical double meanings inside or behind these songs that you're just vibing to automatically. No, once you look at the lyrics, there's no mistaking what it's about, but listening to it, you might not pick up on it. But <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I didn't at first either, but then I realized, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Marco Kasich's a little hornier than I realized. He's showing that Baltimore there. <laughs> I guess he is. I guess it's just what they needed. There you go. There you go. But as we said, that is the end of side one. On to side two, track number six. You're all I've got tonight. This is another classic, not a single, yet still a FM staple. I love this song. The desperation of the situation really comes through in it. The reason that one line is repeated throughout the course because he's saying, this is all I've got tonight. I don't care if you hurt me. You're what I have, and I'm going to let you do it anyway. And just that desperation, I think, is something so many of us have felt at some point in our life. We are willing to let a toxic person hurt us because it's what's there. And uh, this one just gets to that emotion so well. And it rocks, too. It's driving. The guitar solos kick ass once again. And uh, here is my hot tea take of the album. My number one there is, I guess you could say. This should have been a single instead of Good Times Roll. I'll agree with you there. I think it was a really smart move to, to open up side two with it. Because that offbeat rhythm guitar in the background, even on the same chords, that B-A-G as we find in Good Times Roll. So this is just a little bit speedier than Good Times Roll, but that same thought process is there. So I, I thought that was a really smart idea to open up the second side with that one. I agree. It's a perfect opener for side two. And fortunately, it didn't need to be a signal. It's still got lots of play on the radio and continues to to this day. I feel like it might have had a chance of being a single if the band didn't release Candio, the follow-up, a year after the album. And obviously, Let's Go was the lead single from that one. And that was a bigger Billboard hit than anything on this album. So they weren't wrong in releasing it. I wouldn't have sat on that one either. But I'm sure if there were more singles from this album, this would have been the fourth one. But that wasn't what happened. They chose to release the follow-up. Nothing wrong with that. The follow-up was very successful as well. And now we're on to lucky track number seven, your important number on here. <laughs> what do we got for seven? Bye-bye, love. This is a pretty standard breakup tune, but it's a unique take on it for this time. You're not going to hear a line about orangey skies on rumors which was the top-selling album of the year before. <laughs> so definitely different for this time, but I really like it. I love how the second verse is done twice, but the second take is way more intense. This is probably Benjamin Orr's best vocal performance on the album because he really has to dial up the intensity and... Uh, he does it. He does. You're right. That second time through over that B power chord is super awesome. I really enjoyed that. I, I thought it was neat finding out that this is one of the oldest songs, per se, uh, dating back to the mid-70s for them, right? So this is a couple of them were together in uh, Cap and Swing. Yep. And, and they were doing this before. And I, it's a tight track. Uh, and 
I think that has an advantage because they've played it so long uh, with each other. Little little view into it up until diving in and reading on this album. I would have told you that this was called My, My Love. My, My Love. I've sang it like that since forever. And I don't know if I ever stopped singing it like that. But My, My Love is the name of this this track in my head. (laughs) I have never thought that, actually. (laughs) This is another one where I was talking about the Book of Dreams uh, keys. There are some really cool sonically driven keys in this one i love this song this is this is up there for top song for me oh most definitely and it's another non-single that's remained a staple that's really side two they're non-singles that have remained staples i even once heard a guy sing this at karaoke before but oh bye bye love that's a good song he was singing it wrong it's my my love Yeah, side note, the Cars are one of my favorite karaoke bands to do. They're, well, one, they have bangers, and two, Rick Ocasek has a quirky voice, and I can tap into that. I can see you singing some Cars. I like that. Yes, I've done a few of these songs already, and I'll do more in the future, I'm sure. Haven't done Bye Bye Love yet. I'm going to have to add that to the list. There you go. Add it on. And uh, speaking of iconic tracks that weren't singles, we have the second to last song on the album, track number eight, Moving in Stereo. There's a perfect segue from Bye Bye Love into this, which is awesome. I'm like, oh, that was seamless. This is a pretty futuristic song. And uh, this was one I hadn't really looked into the lyrics. I just thought, oh, moving in stereo, that's cool. But really, it's about the monotony of life and how sometimes you're just going and not doing anything new. You know, that's really neat thought because one of my only beefs with this track um, is that it's a little long for me in the sense of like no real true crescendo or payoff. Um, of course, with without the next track, and we'll get there, it almost keeps dragging on. Um, but I like the play on monotony. Uh, that makes sense. For me, this is the early start to what I equate as the 80s sound, that, that almost mechanical, single beat driven sound. Um, there's a little bit of Floyd in here for me too, but it's just that mechanical sound uh, of the early 80s that I hear a lot in this track. Yes, and it's good that you mentioned that because this song will forever be associated with the early 80s because of its use in a little movie called Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Second time that movie's come up on this podcast, but in the scene where Judge Reinhold's character sees Phoebe Cates take off her red bikini top, this song is the soundtrack to it, just the instrumental to it. But it's in there, and it elevated this song into the pop culture pantheon forever. And it's well used. For some reason, it just works really well in the movie. In my opinion, it works well in the movie because it has almost that sinister kind of sound, where it could be equated with that sinister kind of, of creeping sound. I don't think it works well in this spot on the album. And we'll get to that. I've got... I've got some some ideas when we get to the end of this album that I'd like to share with you about how this album could have been put together. We're just getting super critical on it, but definitely, definitely a great track. Yeah, and I love how because of its use in Fast Times, it's used for similar scenes in other shows and movies. The most notable for me being 
The most popular show in the world right now, Stranger Things, season three, episode one, when Mr. Billy walks by those ladies. Yep. This is what plays. Right there, you know, you have that that villain-esque, that weird creeper vibe going on. Oh, Billy. He's a he's a he's a wild one. Yeah. I don't know why they tried to make us feel sympathy for him, because what a douche. <laughs> I heard that. Yeah, poor Max. She uh, really went through it. I finished indeed. the show. She oh, really nice. went through it. She did indeed. I, I hope she's okay, but it doesn't look good for her. <laughs> and poor Eddie Munson. Rest yeah. in peace. What a legend. The Bard. That's a, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but yes, The Bard. But anyway, enough about Stranger Things, even though we could talk about that forever. So much happening in that show. It's awesome. It really is. But now we are at the final track on the album. We have another perfect segue into All Mixed Up. So this is a song I have some mixed feelings on, actually. For me personally, this song is a little busy. There's too much going on, but I realize that's the point of the song. Everything's supposed to be all mixed up. That's why we have all these overbearing backing vocals and all these instruments. We even have the only sax solo in the band's discography. Yeah, took the words right out of my mouth on that one. I love a good sax solo. Agreed. I do think there's a bit too much going on, but I realize that's the point too. So I do appreciate this song more than I actually listen to it, if that makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, the The bridge from moving in stereo to all mixed up is perfect. In my opinion, they could be one giant beautiful opus. But you're right. There's so many sounds, and yes, it's supposed to be mixed up, and I get that. But it just we're we're at the end of the album here, and it's leaving us on this way totally way different feel than the starting of the album. If you're gonna come and try on your debut album. And, and come out here as a uh, the new wave sound. If you're looking to do that, this ain't the way. In my opinion, this ain't the way. And my biggest gripe with this whole entire track is you don't end an album with a trail off like that. Uh, you know, when when it starts to get interesting, you're just trailing off. This is the end of the album. Uh, I it fell short for me as as an album ender. Uh, you know me, I'm critical on, on how that album ends off. And there's just so there's just so many different ways. I've got one lined up for when we finish. Um, but I just feel like there's a way to make all these tracks work so much better than just coming off after a weird sax solo, you know? Yeah, I agree that this should not have been the closer. It's not a strong enough track to end an album at all. There is too much going on. I have a thought on what I think should have ended the album, but it's not this song. And here's the real what the hell decision of the singles for this album. This was not a single worldwide, but often in the 70s, I found out singles will be released in one European country only. And uh, this one was released in the Netherlands. But here's the really strange part. Guess what the B-side was? What? You're all I've got tonight. Get out of here. The B-side? Yes, that's insane to me. I'm like, mind blown. Because this 
doesn't sound like a hit. This never would have been a hit. All mixed up, never. No, and for me, in my opinion, without moving in stereo, it's almost like half a song. Oh, you're absolutely right. I don't even think it's played on radio much without moving in stereo, and it shouldn't be, if you ask me. This one, not a great album closer. I appreciate it, but it's not one I go back and listen to much at all, and it definitely pales in comparison to much, much stronger tracks here. Most definitely. Most definitely. And I've been prefacing it i've been i've been foreshadowing it but here's how i think this album should have been laid out and maybe it's a hot tea take electra i'm yelling at you here's how it goes good times roll perfect start my best friend's girl and the perfect spot here after your two bangers is where you bring up moving in stereo into all mixed up we still end the first side with don't you stop and it's we've now explored all the sounds that we were going to explore on the whole album Still finish on a high note, and then second side, bye-bye love, just what I needed, stick I'm in touch in there, because it sort of works in my brain later on in the album. I'm not saying it makes it any better of a song, but it works there as a filler on eight, and finish it off with You're All I've Got Tonight. That's how I would have put this album on wax. I like that. Thank you. I do like that, actually. I wasn't thinking you're all I've got tonight as the album closer. I was, I still like that as the start of side two. Heard. My closer actually would have been Bye Bye Love. Oh, okay. I see where you're at. And you're, you know, I go back to my thought of uh, it made sense to open up side two with you're all I've got. I based it closing with the strong end of that song, but Bye Bye Love would have worked as well. Because Bye Bye does Bye Bye Love doesn't end in a trail off, right? No, it does go into moving in stereo, but it doesn't oh, have true. it doesn't yeah. have to though. Heard heard. That's the thing. It's not as essential as moving in stereo going into all mixed up. That was my biggest beef with this album. I, I feel like I was more critical on this album than a lot because there were so many iconic tracks, and it was very hard to not be like, I love this song. Well, I love this song. Well, I love this song. Um, so I, I wanted to take a step back and see how it could benefit from its own sounds in a different way. I mean, you kind of have to do that with an album like this, where almost all the songs are well known by a vast majority of people. This is one of those albums, for okay. sure. And a lot of the time, I try to avoid albums like that to an extent, but this one just means a lot to me personally. It's one I've been hearing for years. This is a band my parents loved, and I've just known these songs for so long. It just means a lot to me personally, and that's why I picked it for the 70s. Oh, it was a great pick. Great pick for the 70s. Yeah, you know, one of the ones, like you said, that we know, but these are the ones that I enjoy the most because we get to dive in and really learn about it. And just think about it in different ways. So thank you for this pick. No problem at all. I do have one request. It is for the RIAA, who are in charge of gold and platinum certifications. This album was certified six times platinum in 1995. Please update the certification. I'm sure it's at least seven times platinum by now. (laughs) Heard that. Heard that. Get on it. Just What I Needed has over 160 million streams on Spotify, and streams now count towards certification, so get on it. Get on it. What's your favorite song on, on this album? Just What I Needed. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh man, it's tough for me. I go back and forth. Just what I needed. I'm going to agree with you. As second is Bye Bye Love, but just what I needed is is this album, in my opinion. Oh yeah, my second's You're All I've Got tonight, but just what I needed. It sums up everything about this band. A perfect debut single, and it started off a really good run for them that went into the mid '80s. There you go. Even after this band broke up in 1988, they did end up reuniting, but that's beside the point. This band's influence continued to be felt on songs such as Stacy's Mom, for one, and Rick Ocasek did a lot of production work, and that car sound has just never really gone away. And sadly, we lost Rick Ocasek a few years ago. May he rest in peace, as well as Benjamin Orr. He's been gone longer he died in 2000 uh, from pancreatic cancer but all of them are welcomed and uh shown forever in the rock and roll hall of fame correct yes they are in the rock and roll hall of fame they were inducted in 2018 sadly ben or did not get to see it kind of surprised it took that long yeah I mean, this is a hot take, I'm going to say now. Blondie should not have been inducted into the Rock Hall of Fame before the Cars. Nah, nah, I'll I'll be with you on that one. I love Blondie, Debbie Harry is awesome, but no, the Cars should have been in there before Blondie. What is your ultimate score for this album? I gotta go with A. There are a couple of weaker points on it, but the highs really balance it out. And even the weaker songs here, there are really only two of them. There are nice things I can say about them. I at least think they're kind of interesting. And that's something that I always like. And this is just a great statement. This band showed what they were about on their debut album. It, it almost grabbed an A for me. I'm right at B+. Uh, iconic songs throughout the whole entire album. It suffers, in my opinion, a little bit from some overproducing. And the sum of the parts is just not near the bangers that are in there for me. So B plus for me on this one. I see where you're coming from. I almost said A minus, but I had to bump it up to an A. No, you're good. A is a perfect one, especially coming from you and knowing how much this album means to you. Yeah, and another memory I want to share with this album, it is about just what I needed. This is a small thing I've decided to share with my listeners. There was one night over a year ago, I was with a friend of mine named Nino, and we were at this bar, and there was a Touch Tunes jukebox, and he put on Blondie, because he loved Blondie, as do I, and just what I needed was a suggestion, and I said, that's a good song, you should play it. And then he said, all right, Charlie, I put it on for you. And <laughs> that was just one of those small moments that I appreciate in life. It's like, wow, here's a good friend who will do that for me. That's very nice. There you may, go. May Nino rest in peace. Sadly, he's no longer with us. But may he rest in peace. And I will always uh, think of him when I hear just what I needed. But I don't get sad because it's an awesome song. There you go. That's the beauty of the music. Yes. Iconic, iconic, iconic. One of my favorites. So now we come to the surprise. Ladies and gentlemen, I told Charlie, do not tell me what track we're going to do. I'm sorry, which album we're going to do next. I'm finding out with you guys where we going next week. So we did a poll. For those who don't know, our options were albums by Paul McCartney and Wings, Elvis Presley, Kate Bush, and Talking Heads. I put polls up on the Spotify for the last episode and on Instagram. Overall, 
the winner was Paul McCartney and Wings' band on the run. It got half of the vote overall. I thought that's where we were going to go. Um, I'm excited to do that album, period. I definitely thought that's where we were going to go. All right. Lil McCartney. Yeah. I had a feeling it would win. It's a really well-known album. Paul definitely is amazing. And I can't wait to talk about it, especially after I got to hear some of the songs live. Heck yeah. That'll make it even cooler, and it'll make my mother happy because she suggested for us to do this one. There you go. There so you go. I'm excited to do Band on the Run. I am a little sad we didn't get to do Elvis. We will have to at one point because I just saw the movie and it was awesome. I have a lot to say about it. We might need to do a special movie review episode about Elvis. Ooh, or we just do a month of movies. Oh, oh, baby. Not, uh, again, you know, we, I feel like we say it every week, but we're always brainstorming. That sounds like a hell of a month right there. If it's music movies, we can totally do it. And this Let's one, have... this one had a lot going on and I have a lot of thoughts on it and I would like to share them in a form like this. Definitely something I'm thinking of. Let us know if you want to hear us discuss Mr. Presley. I know I really want to after seeing the movie. Definitely one of the better biopics I've seen. Can't wait for it. But in the meantime, before we join the band on the run, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcast for updates on new episodes and content related to whatever we will be discussing that week. You'll be seeing some stuff for Band on the Run coming up soon. Can't wait for that. And also subscribe to us wherever you're listening, whether it be Spotify, Amazon, Apple. Rate us. Give us a five-star review. That'll help us get more traction. We would really appreciate that. And uh, in the meantime, just be cool and stay safe. And we can't wait to be back next week for Band on the Run. Adios, amigos. Peace.